Making it in business isn't about spreadsheets, this or that. It's about guts, tenacity, and above all, street smarts. Join Sarah Shaw as she talks with successful entrepreneurs about all the hard-won lessons they've learned on the mean streets of the business world. If you've ever felt stuck, stifled, or even just scared to get out there and make your mark, you'll learn how even the most successful entrepreneurs overcame failure and found the power to move forward. So forget about learning about business in school, because all you need to make it big is a street smart MBA. And here's your host, Sarah Shaw. Hey there, Sarah Shaw here with another episode of Get a Street Smart MBA. And I am here today with Julie Fredrickson, who's the co-founder and CEO of Stowaway Cosmetics. And they are a up-and-coming, pretty big cosmetic brand that has pretty much found a way to utilize small sample sizes instead of you know the big makeup pieces that we buy on a regular basis, and that these are awesome things that you can purchase all the time, um, use up before they go bad, and they've really solved this amazing problem. So welcome, Julie. I'm really psyched to talk to you today. Oh, thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. So I wanted to just dive in and kind of, you know, I know that, you know, one day you had your aha moment, right? And you were just like, wait, why are we, why do we have all these big pieces, you know, big compacts and big mascaras and all the stuff we end up throwing away after a few months and there weren't things you could just kind of shove in your, in a tiny little bag and you, you know, kind of thought, I'm assuming, right, hey, if there's, if I, if I can think of this, other people might want this too, but there's nothing out there, so no one's buying it, right? So once you kind of came into this realization and had your aha moment, how did you even get into makeup? Because, you know, you come from, you know, kind of the fashion, beauty, blogging, affiliate marketing space, and how did it even, like, happen <laughs> that you got into makeup and developed this brand? <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because uh, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago uh, if I thought I would ever be in cosmetics, you're like, you're going to be a cosmetics CEO. I would have been like, oh, you're hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I was on the road a lot. Um, and I'm a pretty active person. Like, and I think most women are. Like, you're running from, you know, work to meetings to picking up kids. You know, if you're really lucky – uh, occasionally you're like, yes, date night. Um, yes. <laughs> and I really felt like I wasn't being served by my cosmetics. And mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person that like enjoys cosmetics, but wasn't an expert and had all of these products that just didn't fit into my life. And I thought, well, that's not a problem with me. That's a problem with the makeup. And I started going through my makeup drawers and realized that I had never really finished anything that I'd ever purchased. I had a lot of crusty mascaras, half-used blushes, lipsticks that I'd had probably since college, uh, and I'm right. in my 30s, so that's a little disturbing. Long, way too long, yeah. Well, and it just kind of, I had this moment where I started thinking, this is really weird. I can't be the only one that has this problem, and other sizes do exist. And I was an avid subscriber to all of the boxes a month clubs, and I knew where every free gift with purchase was in the city. And I'd sometimes go for the free gift with purchase, not to get the products that were on offer, but just to get to the smaller sizes. Mm-hmm. And I started, because I'm an entrepreneur and do this, I started calling the brands, calling the brand managers, calling the private equity firms that uh, own the brands, uh, and even calling the conglomerates and saying, hey, uh, I want to buy the smaller sizes. You don't sell them, but I know you make them. Why don't you sell them? And I started getting back pieces of the answer. And the answer ended up being really interesting. And this is probably obvious in hindsight, but it wasn't obvious to me at the time, that if there's demand and no supply, there's almost always a very sensible reason for it. Mm-hmm. And the sensible reason for the fact that there was demand in the case like women want things that fit into their life, but no supply ended up being a cost of goods issue. So one of uh, my favorite things is there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, it turns out there's no such thing as a free sample. Those products that are smaller actually cost just as much to manufacture as larger sizes. So when you get a mascara sample 
at a nice you know, department store, it actually costs mm-hmm. the same amount of money to make as the full size they're going to try to upsell you on later. And when you think about it, that means they're probably overcharging for the larger size. So when you I'm buy just a really going to say, nice, how do those numbers yeah. work out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and the funny thing is, is that it doesn't make any real sense because you don't finish the larger size mascara because mm-hmm. mascara has expiration dates. All cosmetics have expiration dates. So they can't necessarily make these smaller products and sell them because it would cannibalize existing profit centers. They'll make them and give them to you if so long as you're willing to buy the larger, heavily marked up process, product. Mm-hmm. But they can't necessarily do anything about existing product lines, particularly because most of these brands are owned by publicly traded conglomerates. So if you're a brand manager and you're like, women are super mobile, they want to be polished, they want to feel great, they want their makeup in their purse, and I'm pitching a line of right-sized cosmetics, the SVP of finance and ops and the management team is going to be like, yes, the demographics and demand are there, but we report to the markets quarterly and we can't tell the markets that we're going to make the same products that we already make money on at the same cost of goods, but sell them at half the price. It just doesn't right. work. Right. Because then they'd have to stop so much. So much of the way they're structured just doesn't make sense for them to do it. But an upstart can do it as long as you start with that price point in mind, start with the idea that if something's half of the size, you can get a quality product. You can actually make that work. And that's how Stowaway was really born with the expectation that rather than having you buy one lipstick and maybe you come back five years later, you'll buy a lipstick from us, you'll finish it, and you'll come back. And 80% of our customers that are repeat customers actually buy the same product. So when you buy a concealer or a mascara from us, you use it before it goes bad, and then you come back and you purchase it again, which is so simple Like, it's almost too obvious. Right, There are some problems where you're like, why did no one do this before? I kind of feel like a a dope where I'm like, "Uh, guys, anyone? No? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? (laughs) Nope. Because I'm not that smart. No, well, you clearly are. No, but you clearly are because you filled a niche that these other guys couldn't fill. Do you know what I mean? Whether they wanted to or not, and they fill it with their freebies, right? You know, you go to whatever, um, you know, Bobby Brown or something online, and you buy something, they, they give you all these different samples. And, you know, sometimes they're the ones in the little Tetra plastic, you know, those little tear things. But sometimes you get from brands, or even if you go to Nordstrom's or other companies, you know, Sephora, they give you actual real mini samples. And you, you always, you, I always think to myself, oh, they must, these are like throwaways. You know, they must be, you know, if the lipstick is $36, these must cost them like a dollar, you know, or something. <laughs> and, 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 and it must be way less than the $36 lipstick, you know, but basically what you're saying is that it's essentially the same, cost the same to produce the mini version and the whole version, you know, the, the full-size version, and that they just can't because of their, uh, you know, the investor situation or the holding company or whatever because they have to report to the big guys. <laughs> yeah, public. well, and when, you were, yeah, and when you're publicly traded, you have to comp mm-hmm. quarter over quarter, and right. maybe you could make the transition to sizes that made more sense mm-hmm. over time, but yeah. you'd have a couple quarters in which you'd take hits because you'd be producing something with an identical cost of goods. Right. And it's just exactly. one of those things where also, as a consumer, you're a little like, ah, oh, dang. Because mm-hmm. like, you love makeup brands, right? Like I love right. Laura Mercier. I love Bobbi Brown. And I still am, am someone that buys other makeup brands. And it bums me out now that I understand that I'm paying <laughs> for a lot of the sampling. <laughs> right. And like – I, I, I know it now, and I'm like, no such thing as a free sample. I get mm-hmm. it. I get it. Right. But yeah. it, it's definitely one of those moments in which I, I actually, you know, it's funny. You know, you sort of think of yourself as being like, well, yeah, maybe this is a, a, a niche problem. And then you realize that it's actually 
a deeply entrenched problem in a very large industry mm-hmm. and that it has the potential to take out the bottom of it because right. most women are not like YouTube beauty gurus. <laughs> most women just right. want to look nice and yeah. get through their day. Right. And all of the trends that retailers have to regulate, have to leverage come from the fact that if you don't finish your lipstick, the only way to get you to buy another lipstick is to say the hot new trend is magenta right. or color correcting or, you know, whatever it is. Whereas Bumper, I think, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I think, you know, 90% of women are like, cool, um, I want to look good for date night. Can we do that? Right. And that should just be an offering. And I think that market is a lot larger. And frankly, it's a lot more cost efficient. When it comes mm-hmm. down to it, you want a business that has repeat customers. You don't want to have to right, spend the money to acquire a customer again and again and again. Right. So a lot of it is just kind of a, a almost classic innovator's dilemma situation in which they can't solve the problem that's coming because their current solution is so profitable, but it won't be forever. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so this leads me into another question. I'm going to jump around. I'm like, oh, I'm varying from my list of questions I have for you. So, so talking about you know, the customer acquisition, so because you guys have started out only selling on your site, right, and you, we'll, we'll get into it in a minute that you're finally going to go into your first retail location, but so you guys have a subscription model or people can just you know, buy a la carte or whatever they want to get. But how, how do you, like what have you guys done to draw people and drive traffic to your site? And then what do you do to maintain that customer? You know, do you guys use a lot of email marketing? Do you, you know, what, what's kind of, how do you guys do that on, for your company? Well, it's interesting because kind of tactical marketing is really my background, um, specifically kind of online and direct response. Um, so I'm lucky in that I'm really fluent in the ways of driving a lot of traffic online. Um, but a lot of the hurdles of getting women to purchase a product that you think of as being something that you'd want to touch and feel is just having good customer service. Because mm-hmm. we used to think no one's going to buy shoes online. And then we had Zappos. Right. And then we're like, well, no one's going to buy fashion online. And then we had Net-A-Porter. And I think right. there's, there's no reason to suggest that cosmetics is not similarly positioned. And you're going to be willing to take chances if you say, you know, we have 100% satisfaction guarantee, free returns and exchanges, and we're going to make it easy. We have a concierge uh, because we have people on staff that went to, you know, makeup school. I went to makeup mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. So that if you ask questions, we're there for you. And if something doesn't work, send it back. We'll make sure you have something that does work. And then good old-fashioned customer service ends up yielding a lot of referrals. Mm-hmm. So we use tools like Net Promoter Scores, where after you've made a purchase, we'll send out an email being like, yeah, on a scale of 1 to 10, would you recommend Stowaway? And people leave you know, a lot of interesting comments where they're like, actually, I already have you know, 10. Here's how I do it. And as we've discovered more about our customer base, actually there's sort of a fascinating aspect to Stowaway where most beauty brands are really into social media and influencers. Right. And we haven't found that to work for us because our customer's not 21 and super into Snapchat. Our customer's, yeah. you, know, you know, in her 30s and has a lot mm-hmm. on her plate and trusts a recommendation from a friend was like, yeah, this totally works and made my life easier. And it's just as good as the prestige brands because they manufacture it in the same factories. Right. <laughs> so the way we, we've started seeing that is we notice that uh, direct load traffic is really strong for us. Uh, search engine marketing and organic traffic is really good for us. And mm-hmm. a lot of that just comes from the fact that women are telling each other that, you know, yeah, the product's good. The customer service is good. And a lot of that's very, I, I call it baseball marketing, where it's like just get really good at the basics. Throw the ball, catch the ball, right. hit the ball, yeah. <laughs> get on base. Suddenly the bases are loaded. Bam, triple header. <laughs> yeah. do, do you find that, um, that uh, has PR has really helped you guys as well? Yeah, because you've been in some big something, magazines. Yeah, it's it's. Well, and I think PR tends to be underappreciated because 
PR has the chance to tell your story through a different lens. And you don't have any control over what an editor writes. So you're giving them your product and your story, and they're seeing it through their eyes. Mm-hmm. And we tend to be really just transparent. Like, this is the business. This is who we are. Uh, I've been known for my uh, colorful metaphors. And by colorful metaphors, mm-hmm. I mean I swear. I tell the truth. Yeah. I'm a, a, a pretty <laughs> That's fine. A, a pretty yeah. and, and raw person. And yeah. uh, it turns out when you're real, other people are real back to you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we've been very lucky that the editors have responded very well to that because a lot of the time they're talking to super slick people who are representing products that aren't made by the people that they're talking to. Right. Whereas when they're talking to me, like I'm intimately involved with every aspect of the business. And, you know, with some of the larger makeup brands that are done by artists, yes, they're very involved in the formulations. But you can ask me a question about cost of goods or, you know, viscosity of, uh, you know, mascara formula, and I can talk to you Mm -hmm. about both. And I think that's helped us quite a bit. And then it's also social proof where it's like, hey, you know, the Allure editors who really know the stuff like it. And, hey, the Fast Company editors – you know, who really understand innovation, think the business model is cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Forbes and the Fortune writers, you know, think this business is interesting. Like, there's like all these kinds of proof. And uh, one of the things I like to joke about is some of our best PR for sale isn't even about the product. It's about the business. Because right. women read business magazines just as much as men do. Of course. And once you find <laughs> yeah, – it's, it's once you find out – that uh, the industry is gouging you a little bit, you're like, oh, hmm, cool. Well, I'm going to try maybe something different. And it's been really gratifying to see just how different customers come to us. And then they stick. Like you treat people like human beings. They they will treat you like a human being too. Right. So I like to – I, I like to remind people of that occasionally. Like sometimes we'll get someone grumpy and being like, hey, like our whole team does customer service, every single one of us. Everyone has shifts. So, you know, um, my shift tends to be uh, Sunday nights because I like to make sure the team has the weekends off. Uh, but chances <laughs> are you. you will get me on a Sunday night. Yeah. Um. I love, I love that you – I mean, so many people are so out of touch with their business these days and don't really want – to have that connection, and I'm so glad it's so refreshing to hear you say how involved you are in every aspect, and whether you do every aspect or not, you could. So it's like if the person who's doing something walks away, you know how to do their job, and you could step in and take over if you needed to. And it's just I, I've always stressed how important that is in a business because if you're so out of touch with it, the business part itself, then how can you be in touch with who your customers are and how can you be selling something that they really want if you don't know who oh, they are? 100%. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I learned so much just from having heart-to-heart conversations with customers. Mm-hmm. And the more you get to do that, because it's such a privilege too, right? Like anytime someone comes to, you know, your store, which for us is a .com or an event, right. and takes time with you, like that's a privilege and you have to respect that. Yeah. And I've always been so gratified that people have been so generous with us with their time. And I personally love it. And I know that, you know, a lot of people have, there are plenty of things that I'm terrible at in business. I'm not great at ops. So if you want the accounting to be done, uh, <laughs> that's what the accountants are for. I check the right. numbers. I can read my balance sheet. <laughs> I got my P&L yeah. on lock. But it's just that's not an area where I excel. And yeah. making sure that you understand every aspect of the business, but also knowing, like, where you can put in more time becomes exactly. so much of a part of the balancing act. And for right. me, like, customer service, a lot of companies, like, will say that, like, they're product-driven or innovation-driven. And for me, because I was solving a problem, I was customer number one, mm-hmm. which means that from day one, we've been customer-driven. Right. When you're answering uh, customer emails, do you use your real name or do you have like a pen name? Yeah. You do? Yeah, so people would know it was you. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and if you answer (laughs) any of our surveys, it says, you know, if you have any further comments, 
email our CEO. Here is her email. She will write you back. And I do. I respond to every single email. Dang, girl. <laughs> you got some time on your hands. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, I I'm a big bully. You don't really have time, time on your hands, but, I mean, you make the time, which is cool. Well, my therapist is I'm a workaholic, so, it's, you know, yeah. there's that. But right. well, uh, You have to be, definitely... I mean, to be successful. I mean, there's, just, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. I've never, ever spoken to one successful entrepreneur who's not a workaholic. Unless they were a good billionaire and just could pay everybody to do everything from the get-go. But anybody who has started a business, I mean, I interviewed Marcus Limonis, and he's a total workaholic. You know, he's got more money than God, and he still has his hands in everything and does, you know, is there with everybody all the time making decisions and, you know, isn't jobbing things out to other people. So, Well, um, I think one of my favorite quotes on that subject is, you know, it's so hard to be an entrepreneur, like at any level, whether you're starting a consulting business or trying to run a venture-backed business. Like just mm-hmm. running something and, and making something from nothing is just so hard that you have to put in the hours. It's so much yeah. harder than anyone really thinks it is until they get into it. Oh, and yeah. so the, the kind of adage I always remind myself of is live like other people won't so that later you can live like other people can't. Yes, I love that. <laughs> that because I'm not going to lie, my life yeah. is miserable. I'm yeah. happy as a clam, like on a macro level, because I get to talk yeah. to amazing women and sell a product that I really believe in, and that's all awesome. So like a macro yeah. level, I'm totally the happiest camper ever. But on a micro level, I'm like, oh, I'm tired, and it sucks, yeah. and it's exhausting, <laughs> and oh my right. God. Yeah, and then there's also vacation, right? Exactly, and there's also that fear. You know, it's like can, it can be here today and gone tomorrow with it, with any kind of business, and that you know, kind of. I mean, it's. Always, I always think that that no matter how successful you are, it's always healthy to have some kind of it could be gone tomorrow. You know, lingering in the back, and what do I have to do today to make sure that doesn't happen? And, and oh, all of that sure. can be really stressful, right? You know, you're like, woohoo, we just got into, you know, such and such store. We just, you know, had our biggest month online. And, you know, you just never know, you know. I mean, you know, when I was in business, 9-11 happened, you know, fourth quarter, zero. <laughs> you know, it's like usually you're mm-hmm. like, wow, I make, uh, we make 80% of our money in fourth quarter and we made you know, $5,000 or something instead of, you know, 600000 And, you know, and you're just, you're devastated, you know, and, and it's not things that you can control, you know, all the time. And so having, you know, and having that, you know, the, the kind of business that you do where you're connected to people and that, you know, women are going to always wear makeup. I don't care if we go to war tomorrow, they're still going to get makeup. They might not get, they might get half as much, but they're still going to be buying something. You know, they're not well, giving up the their lipstick side, forever. Well, on the bright side, we do offer half as much. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, um, well so it's, it's talk- funny. Yeah. Oh, no, no, go on. Because I was going to make a joke about how, uh, you know, the lipstick index is very real where even yeah. when times are tough, women don't mm-hmm. scrimp on their makeup because exactly. it's the sort of thing where makeup really does have a lot of power. And yeah. we've seen that consistently where the biggest IPO of 2008 was Ulta. And, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of baffles the guys and women are like, yeah, duh. Like 2008 yeah. was from a <laughs> year. Of course I bought yeah. my lipstick. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's, Right, and that's, you know, that's why I said even if we went to war, you'd still be selling. You're in the right business. Well, so talking about that, um, I know you guys have a subscription model, and I just, you know, I don't talk to that many people who have a successful subscription model. So I wanted to, can you talk about that a little bit, how that works? Well, it's, yeah, it's funny because we didn't start out with subscriptions. Subscription kind of happened to us. Like we never set out to be like a box of the month club Mm -hmm. or like a, you know, razors on regular delivery thing. For us, it was, uh, it turns out when you design purposefully a product that's meant to be finished, people finish it. And if you made a good product, they buy it again. And so we started seeing in our cohort analysis, anytime that we had a mature cohort. And for us, uh, a mature cohort starts at three months because that's when you'd finish your eye makeup, eyeliner and mascara. Mm-hmm. 
you should really start thinking about replacing it around, through, you know, month three or four. And, you know, it depends on how much you use it, but that's generally speaking kind of the recommended mm-hmm. use case. And we started seeing women coming back naturally. And so our first average order value was a $75, which is a kit. And it's kind of our basic, like, here's your, like, everyday kit. It's, like, five mm-hmm. products. It does everything you need. And then we would notice in three and four months' time, we'd have our second order. And the second order was the, the second average order value was more like 60. And the difference was people don't finish color products as fast as they finish complexion and eye mm, products. Right. And so we were like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then as the business grew, we got more customers and the behavior just kept reemerging we were like, oh, people are naturally subscribing, and we didn't offer anything to make that easier. It was just, oh, I'm done with my mascara, and it was great. I'm buying it again. And part of it is also you never have a bad experience with our products because you never have that moment where you're like, ugh, the mascara is crusty and dried out, and you toss it (laughs) because you're done. The product is finished by the time that would happen with another mascara. Right. You never have a moment where you're like, ugh, my foundation separated. Yucky. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's packaged. And it's funny, the food industry totally got this. They were like, yeah, Costco size doesn't work for everyone. It's great right. if you're a family of eight. But, you know, if you're, you know, just a, a single person. Costco right, or even two. Out, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. your shopping destination. And right now, right. And, and this is like such a masculine way of describing it, but cosmetics is functionally only sold at Costco size. So for mm-hmm. us, subscription was born out of the fact that our customers were already shopping us that way, that so we wanted to make it easier. And we're right. by no means perfect with it yet. There are so many technical issues involved where I'm like, just like, ah, why can't we get it right? But, you know, that's any business person where you're like, ah, it's just not quite there. But it, it very much emerged organically because the products were designed to be consumed, which is also yeah. how we launched our recycling program because we were like, well, if you're using products faster, the goal was to have less waste because we were having all these products, you know, in our own lives as a team that we didn't finish, and that felt wasteful. And yeah. now suddenly you were finishing the products, and it was like, oh, crud, we kind of need to figure out how we deal with that. And so that's how the, the recycling program came about, where yeah, we finished our totally own products. Cool. Yeah, well, and it was so gratifying to be able to offer that say, like, look, we want you to like, just stop paying for stuff you don't use. Right. And finish a product, and we'll handle the recycling, and then you will get a coupon for your next purchase because we want you to keep purchasing. We want you to keep having greener, healthier, cleaner ways of, you know, looking and feeling your best. Yeah. Um, I love that you guys do the recycling. And, um, and, and so do people have to – they pay to ship it back to you. Nope, we do it. Oh, you guys pay for it. Okay. We sure do. <laughs> well, because we want we to make it as easy for people as possible. Sure. Because from our perspective, reducing waste is a huge part of who we are as a company and as a brand. Yeah. And we want to make sure that, like, that shipping label gets to you, you throw it in a box, and you feel really great about your next purchase knowing that you didn't waste any of your money, your products are getting recycled, and, like, the cycle will continue. Because I don't want to have a a transactional relationship with you. I want you to shop with me for the next decade, for the next 20 years. And then I want you to introduce your daughter to the brand. Because (laughs) I got introduced... I got introduced to brands that I love to this day because of my mother and my grandmother. And... I don't necessarily purchase them in the same frequency I would, I think, if they were operating under this kind of principle. And mm-hmm. because we started that way, we have the chance to not just have you, you know, as a customer here and there, but as a customer yeah. who literally is with us every single day because you keep us in your purse. Right. The amount of touch points we have with you is, is so large that I want to make sure every single one of them is as considered and kind as possible. Like, we're yeah. a nice brand. Like, we play well with others. Yes, I can tell. And I love that you guys um, did the little cosmetic bag to go. Is that something you started with, or is that something you added after you realized it was a great little add-on? I think 
we started with it. It's funny. Um, we hadn't initially gone on our, like, it wasn't part of the original six or five piece kit. And then we were like, huh, none of our makeup bags really work. Mm. But we need to make sure there's enough space in it that you can carry your other stuff. Because, like, I still use products right. that aren't stowaway. We don't have a total, like, finished line. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the bag definitely evolved. And one of the reasons is it's cloth is so that if you only have our products in it, you can fold it up and it takes up no space at all. But if you have other products in it, you can just, you know, have the space you need. Whereas, like, right. other makeup bags are not necessarily, like, they're the size they are. And we were like, nope, it's going to be cloth. Yeah. Because... Purse real estate's uh, expensive. It's usually the most valuable real estate I have. Yeah, exactly. I know. And I live in New York, so that's saying something. Exactly. I know. Yeah, you're not throwing stuff in your car all the time, like all of us who don't live in New York, <laughs> especially California people. Um, so I wanted to uh, mention one thing that I think is really cool, just because I think we should talk about that for a minute, that you guys, um, because your products are used up so quickly and don't have super long shelf life or don't need to have a shelf, long shelf life, that you guys don't have to put preservatives, that you don't use parabens or phthalates, however you say that horrible word, um, which is, which is another, yeah. I think it's just a really cool thing that, you know, and I, and I read somewhere that you guys, um, are, are standardized to the EU where you have, where there's 1300 products that are, are not good for your body or your skin. And whereas the U S only has 11, I think is that, did I remember that correctly? Yeah. So, and, and, and it, it gets even scarier than that. We actually haven't updated our cosmetics consumer safety laws since 1938. Hmm, and yummy. that that to me is like, huh, and it's all self-regulated. Which, you know, it's, it's funny, like in our current political climate, there's a lot of talk about like regulations are dooming businesses and yada yada. I'm like, well, not in mine. I actually think <laughs> ours could stand to be a little better regulated. Uh, yeah. And of course, as a business person, I'm like, yeah, no, red tape, boo. But now I'm like, consumer safety, Yay. And I, I was actually really shocked because uh, as, a, as a kid, I loved Maybelline. Great Lash was mm -hmm. like my favorite product as a teenager. Oh, yeah. So much so that I named my dog Maybelline. Like, true story. <laughs> like, I, I had a bulldog, and she, she had, you know, black around her eyes. And so I was like, her name is Maybelline because she's got smoky eyes. And... Looking back on it, I think, oh, my gosh, some of the ingredients that are used in brands like Maybelline, uh, because they need to be shelf-stable for a long time, uh, because the product development cycle is years from wholesale to retail to store, uh, they use ingredients that the EU considers to be unsafe. And right. more American brands are becoming cleaner, are becoming safer so I don't like to use terms like organic because, well, strictly speaking, some products literally can't be organic because they're not, well, organic. They're not like a lot. Right. Right. Um, so there, you, you can't have organic powder. Um, right. <laughs> but, yeah, which is kind of a funny concept. You're like, are you organic? I'm like, no, actually, it's not carbon-based at all. But that's just my, yeah. that's my inner chemist being a dork. <laughs> um, <laughs> So for us, we're very careful about ingredients because there are a lot mm -hmm. of uh, stabilizers, emulsifiers, uh, things that help keep products on the shelf for a long time and in your ba in your bathroom for a long time, right? Because yeah. keep in mind that you know bathrooms are hot, humid spaces. You take showers, and so right. cosmetics have to be designed to withstand these things. And over an extended period of time, every time you open a mascara, you're pumping oxygen in there, which means right. that you're pumping in whatever bacteria is happening. And I don't know if you've ever gotten a sty, but whew, they are not fun. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things where you understand why they're doing it because they, they know their consumers aren't finishing it. Yeah. Whereas we know our consumers will finish it, so we don't have to use the ingredients. And I, I think that consumers should expect more from companies. They should expect that we care about your safety, that we've thought mm -hmm. about it. Because a lot of the ingredients that are standard preservatives are actually quite harmful. They're known endocrine disruptors. 
And you can definitely argue about whether we have enough data on whether or not they cause cancer uh, because, you know, there's still, you know, good science takes time and is peer-reviewed. But I think that you should err on the side of safety, especially when it comes to makeup because, you know, if you've got daughters, like, they're going to get into your makeup. That happens. And, you know, heaven forbid you have – a young child playing with products that is filled with something that could have long-term effects. It's just yeah. not a risk that I'd personally want to take. So yeah. we made sure that none of our products had any of that because we just don't think companies owe it to their customers to protect them. Right. Right, it's true. And it's good for the bottom line, right? Like that's the thing. Like it's a good business decision. Like, everything yeah. about this makes us a better, stronger, more profitable business. And I've never quite been able to figure out why more companies don't think that way. And I understand why right. legacy companies don't do this. But, you know, when you're starting fresh, yeah, care about every aspect of your customer experience. Right. Right. No, I totally agree. I mean, you've got, you've got to um, in order to retain people. Um, Hey, so I wanted to ask, um, and then I'll let you go. I know you guys are launching at your first retail location, and that was a big, you know, departure from your original, you know, business plan when you guys first first launched and did everything online. So I'm going to let you reveal the name, and can you talk a little bit about how how that's working and and um, and what that was like for you to kind of move into retail. Yeah, so I'm lucky in that I had a retail background. I spent a couple of years at Ann Taylor. So I I love retail and shopping, like just the experience of it, especially kind of new retail that's much more experiential. And one of the reasons we wanted to be direct to consumer is we wanted to control the customer experience, control how we treated our customers, how we talked to them, uh, and just were very considered about the entire experience. And when you wholesale your products, you don't necessarily have the same amount of control, especially with Mm -hmm. bigger stores. Mm -hmm. And so we are now in Blue Mercury. We're in 40 stores. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons we were so excited to go, yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, And one of the reasons we were so excited to go into Blue Mercury is that Marla and her team, now Marla is a legend in cosmetics. Oh, yeah. She, you know, built that brand up. Uh, and then sold it to Macy's uh, for you know a good chunk of change because she cares about customers in the same way that we do. And yeah. so when we first started, you know, talking to each other, I was like, oh, these this, these people are our people. We get it. This makes sense. And we didn't feel that way about some of the other retailers that we talked to. Uh, and you know, Cosmetics has some you know big gorillas. And we wanted to make sure that when we started retail, we started it right. And we started it considered and in a way that made sense to who we were as a brand. So we created two exclusive kits for Blue Mercury. One uh, is more complexion-oriented. One is a little bit more eye-oriented. And, you know, we very deliberately merchandised it for them but also Mm -hmm. for the idea that this was an experience that was considered. And it's been absolutely amazing. They've been really doing so well. And, in fact, we're, you know, selling through a little faster than we anticipated, which is a champagne (laughs) problem. Yes, of course. And uh, it's been really wonderful. And it's been encouraging us to explore more retail options because I think traditional retailers are now thinking about – they're thinking about customer experience in the way that brands that were born digital. And I think mm-hmm. eventually these distinctions, direct-to-consumer, retail, wholesale, kind of won't matter. And it will all come down to how do we serve you best? How do we, I make right. sure that your experience is perfect? Yeah. And retailers will have to start acting more like direct-to-consumer brands. And direct-to-consumer brands will work with retailers. And you've started seeing more of this. You know, Casper, the mattress company, is in West Elm. Uh, Bonobos, which is men's uh, apparel, sells in Nordstrom. And a a lot of these partnerships are born out of the idea of how do we keep our brand ethos and our customer experience seamless. And that's ultimately what will matter. And and do you you, um, – 
did, did you go into did you go into Blue Mercury to you know like help train the employees or help with setup or did you just leave it all to Marla's magical fingers? <laughs> no, we were definitely very involved um, and have remained so, partially because you know we want to be and uh, we love hearing from the store managers and their teams because they hear stuff that we don't hear. Sure. And when I went to set up, uh, so I went down to D.C. when we first launched, uh, do kind of a, a live launch with Marla on Women's Entrepreneurship Day, which is, was super exciting because uh, Marla is an entrepreneur. Like, I, I want to be here when I grow up kind of person. And uh, I ended up doing some of the setup in the D.C. stores that day because they, they're, you know, it's where they're based. And I had literally just helped set up uh, one of our retail units a woman came in and said, oh, I saw this in Allure. This is exactly what I've always wanted. Grabbed it, went to the like, cash register and was out the door before I could even be like, hey, hi, um, <laughs> can I talk to you for a second? Right, yeah, I'm the founder. Yeah, yeah. it was the most magical experience ever because she was definitely, like I w- we were setting up in the morning and it was like clearly she was like, it had kid in tow, was like, yeah. that's what I want, and I'm out. On a mission, and it, yeah. Yeah, which, of course, is, is totally how moms, like, rock out their days, where it's like, doing it, doing it right. And yeah. that was like, the kind of moment where I was like, yep, this is, this is why we, we chose Blue Mercury. That yeah. woman right there. <laughs> have you, she have didn't you have time ever, to talk uh, to me. Right, exactly. She's just like, this looks awesome, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you ever been – it had one of those moments where you've been in a store, or restaurant, or bathroom, or at a party, or something, and seen somebody pull out your products that you didn't know. It's starting to happen more and more, uh, and it actually yeah. freaks me out a little bit um, because I'm like, oh, I must know them, and then I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I because I, we're really, really popular with gym rats, uh, and I like Equinox. Is, is a you know really popular in New York and a mm-hmm. lot of big cities, uh, and a lot of professional women will work out there in the mornings and then you know have to polish themselves up. And I right. started seeing more women using Stowaway at the Equinox that I go to, and I'm always a little like, oh, I hope they don't look at the pictures on the website because you know I'm tootling around like you know naked in yeah. a towel, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it, it definitely, there's been a couple of moments. There's been moments where, like, a celebrity has mentioned us. Mm-hmm. And I've been like, how did it, how did she get it? And, yeah. like, I'll reach out and be like, she, she bought it. She's, she's in the customer database. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. Why didn't anyone <laughs> tell me? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's one of those things where, like, you, you just wouldn't necessarily notice, right? And, you know, sure, of course. so used to buying things and, you know, we we're, we're, we don't have the hookups with the cool, like, influencer people that, you know, give product to these celebrities. So <laughs> the only way they're going to get their hands on is if they bought it. So, oh, girl, we've got to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those, so those e- kind of moments. It's so easy to get your products to celebrities. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you well, guys don't do that. But that's, that's so cool that um, – I mean, because I, I just remember the first time – I'm just asking because I was once in uh, Serendipity in New York years ago with my handbag line, and I was there for a show and stepped in for a coffee or something. And I was in the bathroom, and this girl comes out of the stall wearing one of my bags. And I'd never seen anybody wearing one of my bags before, not in L.A. Because in L.A., you know, I sold them at sample sales and people's offices and out of the back of my car. And so I used to see people all the time there, but never in New York. And I, rem- I just looked at her, and she looked at me, and I'm sure I looked like a deer caught in the headlights. And I was like, that's a cute bag. Where'd you get it? And she said, oh, I got it downtown at Anthropology, but they only have a few left, so you should hurry. And I was just like oh, inside that. going, yes, yes, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, thanks, you know. And I just was too, I'm sure I turned like 40 shades of purple, but I was too shy to tell her that I was a designer. And um, so I always wonder what other people, you know, if you have a product that people actually can have outside, it's not, you know, a bathroom product or a closet product that, you know, you do see people wearing your stuff or using it, you know, in a restaurant. I mean, yours, people could whip it out anywhere, right, Subway. Well, and, I, and I've seen that 
I've definitely seen – well, so I see it actually most on the subway just because that's New York. And yeah. actually, um, because I actually don't mind going up to people, I'll totally be the creepy woman. Well, not when I'm, you know, naked at the gym. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when I'm on the subway and I see a woman putting on her makeup and, like, carrying a giant bag, I'll hand her my card and be like, here's a coupon code. Like, I, I swear I can make this easier. And I once did this to a poor woman who, like, had this massive – like, bag of Chanel cosmetics. Like, it was just, like, clearly weighing her down, and she was, like, really hastily doing it. And she was, like, one of those, like, immaculate fashion women. Um, and I was like, I promise there's an easier way. And she was like, oh, my God, don't touch me, as most New Yorkers are. Yeah. Right. And then she emailed me, like, an hour later being like, this is, like, what I've been looking for my whole life. And she's been a regular customer ever since. And I probably scared the bejesus out of her being like, I promise yeah. there's an easier way. But Which yeah. is kind of a creepy way of, of, you know, talking about it. But No, but I, I love it's your definitely, marketing. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> – well, because it's just – I used to be that woman. I used to be the fashion girl on the train, like, getting ready. And I just there, – there's, there's easier ways. And I, right. I think just feeling good is so just part of the natural way that women think about things, where it's like yeah. makeup is so empowering – I mean, it can, you know, it has a lot of layers to it, right? Where, like, some things make you feel worse and some things make you feel better. And if I can help do, like, even the littlest bit where I save you just, like, five minutes in your day. Because I'm a big believer in decision fatigue. Like, the idea that you can only make so many decisions in a day, which is probably Mm -hmm. why it's so hard to do, like, make dinner every night because, like, you've made your decisions for the day. Yeah. And (laughs) women just have to make more decisions. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah. Well, and, you know, my husband walks out the door having to make three decisions in the morning. Like, what color shirt does he wear? Like, does he shave? And, like, is, does he, you know, put on a tie? Which shoes should he put on? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> whereas the weather. Like, yeah. yeah, whereas I'm, like, doing this elaborate, and all women do this elaborate calculus of, like, I have this event, and the gym and is it gonna rain and can I wear heels should I wear boots what's my makeup yeah. what's my hair am I gonna wash my hair today or am I gonna dry shampoo and style right and <laughs> if I can take away the it's like so unfair. makeup question yeah it's totally yeah. well and it's, it's one of those like double standards where you're like ugh because on one hand makeup's fun and on the other hand yes. I'd love to get out the door in 20 minutes and right. I kind of feel like with Stowaway, you can have both. You can rock out the door in 20 minutes and be like, yeah, I got this. I'll do my makeup yep. when it's convenient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so much more fun being a girl, I think. <laughs> it totally is. Just like you yeah. can have a red lip moment and be like, that's right. I look great. Exactly. And I did. you shouldn't have to plan for those red lipstick moments. You shouldn't be like, yeah, that's right. Today I'm doing red. It should just be yep. in your, like, your back pocket and you're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm doing right. it. <laughs> right. I mean, you got your phone in your back pocket. May as well have the lipstick, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, so what's next for you guys? And then I'm going to let you go because I've been monopolizing your time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what you, what's what next is uh, probably surviving retail. Uh, and that's one of those mm-hmm. things, right, where you talk about how, um, you know, as a business, we're doing really well. We have a dedicated customer base. We're growing but kind of at any point, you know, there's a moment where, like, we could, you know, tip a balance and have to reassess things. And for mm-hmm. me, so much of it is about how do you balance the need for growth with doing the right thing for the customers, with doing the right thing for the brand. And, right. you know, we're, we're definitely expanding more actively into retail, partially because just once we did it well, everyone came knocking and now we have a lot of retail accounts that are kind of on the verge of happening. And, you know, it's not easy. Retail's hard. And trying to figure out all of that balance and what it looks like and how do we keep everything up to the standards that matter to us. So Mm -hmm. I think just not messing it up is kind of my biggest goal because, you know, I I think any business person that says like, oh, we're going to be wildly successful and everything is amazing is just lying. Like there are still a lot of unanswered questions that even the best businesses have. Like yeah. I guarantee that Nike and Apple are constantly having existential crises about how to grow. 
Of course, everybody does. I mean, the one good thing about being a desirable brand, you know, people are reaching out to you. You don't always have to say yes, or you don't always have to say yes, not right now. You know, yes in six months or yes in three months. And you can, you know, you have that luxury of growing at your own pace, you know, because you already have your, you know, your bread and butter with your website, so to yeah. speak, right? You're not just like, oh, hey, we're starting a business today, and yes, we'll take every order that's coming in, down the pike, you know? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, we, we did take venture backing, which means we have to grow at a certain pace. Uh, so, I mean, we do have some of that um, aspect where, you know, you're considered unsuccessful if you don't have consistent high growth. Mm, but sometimes mm-hmm. consistent high growth is not the best thing, right? Because right. you shouldn't necessarily be spending more than you're making, whereas most venture-backed businesses do consistently right. and very aggressively. Yep. And, yeah. you know, we may make different decisions depending on what the climate is. And part of this is me not being a spring chicken in that, like, I've had businesses before. I've watched recessions. I've, you know, I, my family went bankrupt in Web 1. So I'm careful about how we think about the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And that is always that kind of challenge of how do we meet the demand of very, very substantial retailers wanting very large purchase orders. Like, I'm talking, right. like, you know, 200 stores. You know, and it is those kind of things where those are real business threats that are real business yes. opportunities. Right. So if you're not constantly petrified by the state of your business, <laughs> that might not be a great sign. Like you should always be worried. Worry yes. is good. Worry, worry right. means worry that you're is good. doing it. Yeah, worry means that you're right. pushing the boundaries. Yep, yep, and it keeps you healthy. <laughs> <laughs> or occasionally – you know, drives you nuts, drives you to drink. It, it, yeah, <laughs> but if you're not to start with, it's not so bad. I, I've never oh. met an entrepreneur or a founder who wasn't just a little bit wacky. Yeah, and I think I that's think kind of a positive be, thing. Yeah, to to be able to keep up with the pace and roll with the punches and you know, switch hit when you need to and all that kind of stuff. I think you have to be a little wacky. Yeah, you know, and there's um, all kinds of wacky and. Uh, you definitely tick some people off, but, eh, yeah. you know, all in yeah. all, it's a great thing. I, I think exactly. more people should feel comfortable being themselves because you might find that, like, you've been hiding an aspect of yourself, and then you turn it on in your business because you have to to survive because, like, you just don't right. have the energy to pretend. And yeah. then everything works, and you're like, oh, right, I'm yeah. cool the way I am. Yep. And everyone is. So that, uh, maybe that's a good thing to, like, leave it at, where it's like... Exactly. Well, you're a cool wacky. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing so much about your business and your life and your humor. And I really appreciate it and can't wait to see what's coming down the pike and um, look forward to watching your business grow. Oh, well, thanks so much, and thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'll catch up with you another time. Great. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to A Street Smart MBA with Sarah Shaw. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes anytime, anywhere. And we'll see you on the next one.